This episode of the Death by Birding podcast is brought to you by Knox Provisions. Knox are a binocular brand making a difference. They have plastic-free packaging without dyes or glue, totally recyclable. They have a range of colors and models available to satisfy everyone from beginners to advanced birders. I've been personally using my Pro Issue 10x42s for a few weeks now, and I love them. If you've seen me out birding, I've no doubt spoken to you about these binoculars edge-to-edge clarity, and a close focus of less than two meters, which I adore. They are incredibly durable, fully waterproof, fog-proof, and perfect for every adventure. Not only that, but they have a lifetime warranty, a 30-day no-questions-asked return policy, and free shipping on orders over 85 Australian dollars. Now, this is for Australian listeners only, but if you go to noxprovisions.com.au, so that's N-O-C-S, P-R-O-V-I-S-I-O-N-S dot com dot A-U and enter the offer code hashtag death by birding one word. You will receive an extra 15% off your binoculars. That's hashtag death by birding one word for 15% off. That's the symbol hash, not actually the word hashtag, just the symbol hash death by birding. What have you got to lose? Anyway, happy birding nerds. Well, well, welcome to the Death by Birding podcast, where I, your host, Caesar Pishmarin, discusses the superbly wonderful, the world of birds, bird watching, birding, twitching even, whatever iteration you might fancy, and with a wide range of exciting individuals uh, of all manner of backgrounds, whether they be be the most knowledgeable bird watcher in the whole entire world, or they've never even seen a single bird, which I don't know if that's even possible, but uh, if they exist, I'd like to have them on the podcast. And if this is your first time visiting the pod, I just have some housekeeping. Firstly, these aren't really intended to be interviews. I'm not a journalist. I'm just me, a random dude, and they're intended to be light-hearted, fun conversations, and with a broad range of people, uh, all with varying knowledge of birds, as I just said. So on that note, I'm not even a particularly good birder. I'd say I'm intermediate, maybe. I love birding. I love birds. uh, But I'm a generalist at heart. I'm fascinated by all nature. But I made this podcast because I'm intrigued by the subculture of birding and find it to be a unique and fascinating topic to discuss. And I genuinely think it's an accessible way for all people to engage with nature and with the wildlife around them, regardless of background or where they live. Uh, So before you accuse me of misappropriation or misrepresenting the whole birding community, I'm not one. Anyway, okay, death by birding. Don't ask where the name came from, but unfortunately I've just learnt that if you type it into Google, you'll just find a lot of dead birds. Uh, but if you'd like to get in touch, I'm easy to access via Instagram. That's at death underscore by underscore birding on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook if you prefer that particular social medium. Uh, or just find my personal wildlife photography Instagram page, Caesar on Safari. Uh, but I do have a huge favor to ask you before we get into this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please, 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 please click subscribe and rate on whichever platform you use. Uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, particularly Apple Podcasts, actually, because that one helps a lot. Uh, it just helps so much with uh, visibility, which will get me more listeners and therefore encourage me to continue doing these weird little episodes. So if you 
do have the time, please just uh, click subscribe, rate and review the podcast, and that would be a wonderful. So, enough of that. On this episode, I have the ex-convener of BirdLife Southern Queensland, Judith Hoyle. Judith has been a great friend of mine for a number of years and is a world-class birder. I'm not kidding. One of the best birders I've ever had the pleasure of uh, birding with. As fans of the podcast will be familiar and, uh, I dare say, fond of the silly, conversational and comical tone that... Uh, I'm sure you've all come to appreciate from Death by Birding, but the beginning of this episode, there are some, let's say, heavy topics, and particularly, we go into some concerning conservation issues that I think are really important to highlight, that being uh, the development of Ramsar wetland, Toonda Harbour. As a result of the conversational and somewhat serendipitous nature of the podcast, I rarely do very much research, and I don't have a strict plan for how they should go. And although I wanted to talk to Judith about Toonda, which she is hugely involved with, uh, I don't think either of us really realize how much this conversation would be led by it. Uh, But ultimately, it's a really brilliant chat and I'm glad we did it because what's the purpose of even doing this podcast if uh, it doesn't change hearts and minds. But as a result, it's going to be a long one. Uh, But I'll put more information for uh, Toon to Harbour and how to get involved in the show notes. But don't fret, this is still a wonderful episode and we still venture into some levels of absurdity and fun towards the end and I'm sure you'll all love it. So, some slight audio issues on this one again, but uh, I'm not sure why my mic keeps doing this. Keep in mind, you will hear background noises, bird calls, ruffling of jackets, and the tinkling of ice in a glass because this isn't being recorded in the studio. Uh, We were just sat in my living room near the fireplace and just uh, had a jolly old time chatting about birds. But if you want to help me upgrade my gear, uh, why not head over and subscribe to my Patreon? So for $5 a month, you get that warm, fuzzy feeling that you've supported a silly bird-watching podcast. Oh, and uh, you also get a special mini-episode every fortnight or so called Slightly Inconvenienced by Birding. So stick around to the end of this episode, because Judith and I did go birding before we recorded the episode, and I recorded it, and I'll just chuck that on the very end of uh, of the episode there. So, all right, enough of this nonsense. Welcome to Death by Birding. Right, Judith Hoyle, thank you so much for joining me on the Death by Birding podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah. very excited and honoured. Well, I'm particularly excited about having you on because uh, I believe you're actually the first real birder that I've had on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Surely not. No, truly. Everyone else I've had have just been, you know, a lot of people have really appreciated birds and yeah. been casual observers, yes. but none have called themselves birders. Would Whoa. you consider yourself a birder? Yes, but now I'm very nervous because people will be listening to me and they'll be saying things like, she's not a birder. Oh, really? Well, yeah, you, now you're going to be considered the authority on all birding knowledge. Yeah, and, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 not well, at all. Cheers. I've made us uh, a margarita, which I believe is your first It margarita. is my very first margarita. <laughs> the only right. thing, a caveat to that is, unless in my youth I had so many I can't remember, but... <laughs> I swear, I am about to take a sip of my very first margarita. All right, let's go. Oh, my God. Oh, 
Oh, that packs a punch. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> Hang on, I'll have another glass. That's salted rim, of course. Mm. Mm. Well, I better drink that very slowly. Do you think it's quite alcoholic? Does it seem... Oh, it's nice. Is it nice? <laughs> it's very nice. So Let's you... go birding after this. We'll see, a... we'll yeah. see stacks. <laughs> we'll see so many more. Then we'll become stringers. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, yeah, I think considering, you know, you're coming on as the first ever birder and that's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure for the podcast, so too is me making your first ever margarita. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, so yes. I hope it's okay. Yeah, I'll have like, another one. You know, it might... I'm sure there are better margarita makers out there. Mm, lovely. So let's start with you. Let's, I want to talk a bit about your background, particularly as a birder, but also with bird life, Southeast Queensland. Do yeah. you want to maybe start by describing what bird life, Southeast Queensland is and okay. then your role within okay. that institution? Well, um, I suppose bird life, Southern Queensland. Oh, sorry. What did I say? Southeast South Queensland. Yeah, yes. sorry. Bird life, Southern Queensland is the regional branch of Bird Life Australia. And um, there's multiple branches with quite a lot of autonomy. You know, we have our own funds, we run our own campaigns. Um, I came on board in 2012. You might not have heard of someone called Margaret Cameron. No. So she was the first female president of the REOU. Right, of course. Before The precursor of bird life. life. Um, And I had come up from New South Wales to Queensland in 1999 and I'd been heavily involved in REOU. I'd been Vice President of Birds Australia, but I went completely below the radar. I've done my bit, that's it. You didn't want anything front-facing, you wanted to just be in the background. Just just wanted to just bird and and not, um, not to have the level of responsibility, if you like. And I managed that until a phone call in 2012 and that phone call was Margaret Cameron. And there'd just been the merger between Birds Australia, so we went REOU, Birds Australia, and then Birds Australia and BOCA. What's BOCA? The Bird Observers Club of Australia. Right, okay. They merged into BirdLife Australia. A super group. A super group. But with any merger, there's always teething problems. Mm -hmm. And Margaret (laughs) got it into her head that they needed me. So we had this very long conversation where for at least half an hour I she said, they need you. I said, no, Margaret, no, no, no. And then after about sort of 25 minutes, no, no starts sounding like, nee, yeah. Nee. I'm just imagining yeah. R2-D2 coming up yeah, and a, like, a hologram of Margaret being like, we need you, Judith Oil. You're our only it, hope. Really? It was, and in the end, I just said yes to shut her up. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, right, I'll go on the committee. I certainly had... Um, it wasn't just um, they didn't need birding skills. Right. They needed someone who knew about business planning, um, you know, more the admin side of things. Mm. Um, so I thought, oh, I can do that. I can do an action plan. And um, that was in August. In in September or October, the convener had a stunning plan which was he would become the secretary because we didn't have one right and i would become the convener so what's convener so it's like a mean? president okay why don't they call it president i don't know <laughs> in fact some of bird life branches they are presidents right but this is so bird life southern, southern queensland, queensland has a convener a convener that's top dog it's top dog or top bird top dog yeah top top or top person <laughs> top person top i didn't mean bird <laughs> <laughs> It was ungendered. That's right. That's right. Um, Um, So, um, and I thought it was going to be an easy admin job. Okay. (laughs) I can't imagine 
dealing with birders would be particularly difficult, Judith. They're all very, you know, well-mannered, you know, calm people who have very few idiosyncrasies. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not. <laughs> no, it wasn't so much that. I think it was just that I, I, I totally underestimated the conservation issue that we had in Queensland. Okay. And I was very, very naive when I first came on board. I genuinely thought that um, both Queensland nature laws and um, federal nature laws protected nature, protected right. birds. And it was an absolute eye-opener really? to me. Because, you see, when I came up in 1999, it was just before the Queensland government um, put in place the Nature Conservation Act. I remember doing, we did a trip. Um, out west, we went up through um, Longreach, Winton. <clears throat> wonderful. Well, it wasn't wonderful. It was horrific because ahead of this legislation, there was broad-scale clearing. Right, everyone tried on. to get in as quick everyone as possible. A lot of chain clearing. Was that Huge like, yeah. amounts of chain clearing. And you would go through devastation, mile mm. after mile after mile of habitat, just literally clear felled. Yeah. So... Um, but I still thought in 2012 that nature laws did what they were supposed yeah. to do. So that wasn't what you found at all? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. You find that you've got a nature law, the um, Environmental Protection Biodiversity Act, again 1999, that really should be called the Offsets and Mitigation Act. Because, Why is that? Uh, well, because it's not about protecting habitat per se. It's about how you offset and mitigate the damage. Mm, which doesn't actually help, which really. Which doesn't help. No. No, we know that the offset system is is flawed. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of understanding that this wasn't going to just be a, a job where I set an agenda, we had a nice chat once a yeah. month and went home. Yeah. yeah. And then um, it was towards the end of 2015, uh, Machina Gilman, my conservation chair, she flagged, that there was an issue with the Ramsar site in Morton Bay, that they were yeah. planning this big development. And again, I still thought then that this would not get approved. Everything about it, it's sort of a Ramsar site, so these are internationally important mm -hmm. wetlands. You know, not something that you just decide it's going to be a Ramsar site. It has to meet very strict criteria yes yeah and so you're referring to what side <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yes. yeah. So, sorry yeah, no sorry. no yeah so you're talking about Toonda harbour yeah. which is obviously a huge point of contention at the moment mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. southeast queensland because they want to build 3,600 apartments out actually on the Ramsar site. Do you want to explain to the people who maybe aren't well acquainted with what a Ramsar site is? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Ramsar is actually a small town on the Caspian Sea okay. in, um, in Iran. And that's where the Ramsar Convention was signed back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Might have to do a bit of fact-checking with that. But <laughs> back in the 70s. Oh, that's okay. No one believes anything that's oh, on this good. podcast that's anyway, right. Judith. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and um, so it was recognising that wetlands uh, globally were under mm. threat and they set about agreeing to criteria of recognising and protecting mm -hmm. globally important wetlands yeah. through a treaty. So it's not law, but it's yeah. through... Inter an international treaty. So certain governments had to come in and yeah. sign the treaty. And, yeah. and Australia yeah. was first um, government as far as I'm aware to actually sign onto the Ramsar. Wow, I didn't know treaty. that they were the first. Yeah. Yes. Which I suppose makes what's happening at the moment particularly embarrassing. It does. I, yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. And, I mean, there's multiple other um, yeah. 
treaties that Australia signed up to. So the thing with Toondra, it's on a Ramsar site, it's on the Moreton Bay Ramsar site. What makes this one special is it's um, 75% of um, eastern curly mm-hmm. or far eastern curly, if you like. They overwinter in our austral summer here. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So they're considered critically endangered. They are critically course. endangered. Yep. And I suppose let's, let me go back a little bit because I used to come up from uh, Aubrey to stay on Stradbroke Island okay. back in the 80s. Wow, yep. And um, it's there I became a real birder. It was because of the shorebirds, because you can right. recognise. So it's the shorebirds that yeah. were my um, siren, if you like. Yeah, I was well, drawn to shorebirds. Th- those are the ones that triggered that passion. Mm. Well, like, so in episode two with Clay Cassidaly, we did make the distinction, because we, we have to assume that not everyone listening is a birder. Mm-hmm. And actually from what I've learned is most people who listen to this podcast aren't really conventional birders. So we did make the distinction of like what is a curlew and what is a stone curlew because a lot of people when they hear curlew, they think of stone curlews, which are totally different. But, yeah, we're talking about the Far Eastern curlew, the largest Mm-hmm. Shorebird, right? Um, uh, yeah, it's the largest shorebird. Back back in the day when I first started coming here, um, mm-hmm. you would go to Morton Bay and it would be stuffed with tens of thousands of migratory shorebirds. Mm. And I worked in, in that area as well for quite a few years. So when I found out about Toonda, it came at exactly the same moment that BirdLife published data to show that um, some migratory shorebird populations had crashed by um, 80 79, 80, 81%. Wow. And the Eastern Curlew was one of them. So I thought, oh, this is going to be a doddle of a campaign. Yeah, easy, right? <laughs> easy. Easy. You can't, surely <laughs> yeah. you can't, you know, develop on an internationally recognised no. site of importance for, for no. shorebirds. No, you can't. So, you know, it's uh, it's a Ramsar site yep. protected by the treaty. It's um, a marine national park. It's actually a key biodiversity um area as well so right. key biodiversity areas again have to meet really strict criteria yeah and it's home to migratory shorebirds including critically endangered migratory shorebirds yeah. so i very naively just assumed it would be a walk <laughs> in the park and it wasn't no and where do we sit at the moment well the um the draft eis came out um, last year and EIS is, is the environmental impact statement. Right. So just to put this in context, the developers, it because of matters of national environmental significance, this is really a dry bit. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we were starting with a bang. We'll, start with that, <laughs> we'll get you really depressed. <laughs> we'll get you really depressed and then we'll get your hopes up. Yeah. So the EPBC Act, mm-hmm. um, when a development triggers a matter of national environmental significance, yeah. then the EPBC Act is triggered and the developers have to submit an environmental impact statement oh, great. Yep. looking at what the impacts will be and how they're going to mitigate and offset. So we've done the draft EIS and that came out and we had 40 working days. Normally it's 20 working days yep. because it was 4,000 pages and we knew it was going to be very big and very in-depth. In um, the Tundra Alliance, of which BirdLife sort of, um, is one of the lead organisations, negotiated to have that time doubled. So that people had time to read and absorb what was being said and then to put in submissions. And we didn't sit around. We were um, very, very active. Um, The Act for Birds site on BirdLife was um, really prominent and well promoted. And to cut a long story short, the responses to that draft EIS, there's been over 27,000 submissions against the development 
that we know of. 16,000 of them went through the BirdLife portal. Wow, okay. Right. Yep. So we and then other members of the alliance, ACF, Redland 2030, they also set up portals. All the submissions had to go to Walker, but we set up portals so the submissions would co- go through our portals into right. the Right, so you'd portal. at least know how yeah. many, yeah, yeah, and you can hold them accountable for the ones that come through you. Yes. Right? So. Anyone listening that might see online requests to sign petitions and mm. to fill out or to write letters to certain, you know, government agencies or whatever, those are important things to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you can't you can't overemphasize the impact that number of submissions will make. It will be very hard for this decision to be made. Um but it, in it's still, of the development. It to me it doesn't make any sense right like and obviously i have a very limited understanding of how the legislation works mm. and particularly yes like you said that it's a treaty then they're not obliged to, to well they follow. are obliged under the act right okay the epbc act they are supposed to be obliged under the act yes to protect critically endangered birds right and You've got to understand, too, that the Toonda development has gone through multiple iterations, okay? So it's history now that um, when Josh Frydenberg was the Minister for the Environment, his own department said that the development had clearly unacceptable impacts on the ecological character of Moreton Bay and it should be knocked back. But he's got ministerial discretion and he chose to ignore that advice and decided it was going to be a controlled action. That controlled action means that that's what triggers the environmental impact statement. Right. Okay. So it should never have got to that stage. No. And that's that was one of the lowest points of my life. Well, yeah, it, it, you sort of lose hope. You wonder, like, what is the purpose of having these international treaties? Okay, so with, with the Ramsar, like, the reason it's probably worth highlighting, the reason it's important is because, okay, obviously any animal, any endangered species, any vulnerable species in Australia is important. But these particularly shorebirds, we're sharing them with the mm-hmm. rest of the world. And so, like, it, that's why it's important to have these internationally recognised things in place to protect those species so that, you know, we can rely on other countries to be caring for them or to not be destroying habitat that's important for them while they're migrating. Well, that's right. So it's a, it, this really comes down to um, Australia's international reputation. Yeah. If um, So the flyway that um, our migratory shorebirds use is the East Asian Australasian flyway, and there are 22 member countries right. signed on to that flyway partnership, and 15 of them have signed on to the Ramsar Convention as well. Okay, Australia plays a huge role in protecting habitat all along the flyways. Mm-hmm. It's got an internationally important role and it's well respected. So yes. we've got a situation where if we say it's okay to trash a Ramsar site, mm-hmm. what about the other 15 countries that don't have the resources that's right. Well, because we've got to consider that we are one of the wealthiest countries yes, in the world, right. and a lot of those other countries that's aren't. Right. Yeah. They are not. So we've got we we do have a custodial role with these birds. Mm-hmm. Um, they, as I say, seventy five percent of these birds come to uh, Australia. That's the global population. I think when we started this campaign, the population had plummeted by 79% and the estimates were about 39,000 left. We now think that's somewhere around about 27,000. Jeez. Okay. And you've got to think about these birds have got one job to do in Australia. They've got to feed, fatten up so they can fly back to breed. 
Yeah. Where, where are they flying to, Judith? <laughs> well, that's right. They fly a long way. So um, they leave Morton Bear and they um, usually head straight to the Yellow Sea, which is where a lot of the, um, the issues associated with the habitat um, loss and loss of the number of birds because of land reclamation projects right. happened in the Yellow Sea. So they were going to staging grounds that didn't exist anymore, okay? So they normally fly 5,000 kilometres, go there, fatten up, and then they fly to um, either Alaska or to um, yeah. Siberia. It's a hell of a distance, isn't it? It's a hell of a distance. Yeah. And what's even more remarkable is that um, when, they, when they do breed, um, they... Adults will leave the chicks when they're, you know, because they're babies, but they come out and they're totally independent. So they leave them very quickly. And then these young birds, when they're six weeks old, they then make the journey back and they come back to the place where their parents come back to them. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that they're basically being left alone? Yeah. The parents are going... Yeah. We're, we're off. We're going to yeah. migrate back yeah. to Tunda Harbour. And then at some point, those young have to make the journey by themselves yeah. without guidance. And they make it from Siberia all the way back to the east coast of Australia to Tunda Harbour <laughs> by themselves. And then that, to that exact site. So if we remove the ability to go to that site... Where will they go? Well, the argument, of course, is that because there's less shorebirds, there's plenty of mud in Morton Bay and they can go elsewhere. Right. Yeah. But well, it's even better. You know, if there were no birds at all, it wouldn't no, be a problem. So, so who cares? And in, in fact, that's one of the arguments that the yeah. proponents used in their EIS. But I, I look at it simply that um, shorebirds feed in, in mud, the benthic layer. And if you think about it, they all have different size bills, so they feed at different levels of that mud layer, and they're the apex predator of the mud. So they're feeding on shellfish, on yeah, crustaceans. Crustaceans, yeah. ghost crabs, that sort of thing. So yeah. if you remove a huge number out of an ecosystem, mm -hmm. what happens? You get a trophic cascade, right? That's right. Yeah. You know, you get an ecosystem collapse. So to say that the carrying capacity can, it doesn't matter that mm. we take out this little bit. That's a huge issue with that yeah. because you, you, you'll have seen the footage of what happened when they introduced wolves back into Yellowstone National Park. That's right, yeah. They managed the deer, which were eating all the trees. Oh, and then, yeah, it's it sort of – and that people do forget. And I think this is something that's really hard to communicate to people that maybe, you know, don't have a background in ecology mm. or don't understand how these systems function, mm. that actually there are real-world impacts because that will affect the food chain, yes. which will affect – our agriculture will yeah. affect everything will affect you know just everything and mm. will you know ultimately if people like fishing or something like yeah. it'll affect the number of fish in the it sea does. and it's so important to communicate these issues and unfortunately what ends up happening is we just sound like you know boring lefties talking about yeah. oh all they care about are these bloody birds what about development and jobs it's like actually these aren't just issues for the birds they're issues for everyone that's right it's yeah. not an either or we've never been against development of the of the car ferry at Tinder. We've never been against that. Right. But this was a mechanism that allowed the state government not to have to pay for that upgrade. The developers will do that. Right. Yeah. So, um, But you've got this uh, situation where um, we know, for example, that Toonda is one of only two places that we know juvenile eastern curlews over winter. So yeah. they stay all year round until they're three or four to mature because they're not uh, they're not. They don't reach breeding age till three, maybe four years old. Yeah. So these chicks who four years ago came back, 
four years later, they go back and they breed. Yeah. Okay. So if they don't, um, if they get disturbed, and oh, this is another dry fact, but yeah. <laughs> Eastern Curlew have got um, one of the shortest flight initiation distances. And what that means is, that they're very, very timid. You can sneak up to some shorebirds and you can get to within feet of them. Yeah. Eastern curlews will take flight if you get to within 250 metres of them. Wow. Yeah. Really. Sh- so you, you call know. that a flight range, basically, yes. if you're talking about animals. So, like the distance that you can get yeah. to an animal before it spooks. That's the right. easy way to describe that. That's right. So then they, so that they fly, often when they fly up, yeah. they're using energy. Yep. So um, if you're going to put 3,600 apartments onto the Ramsar site yeah. and a 300-berth marina with, um, with all the watercraft, what's going to happen is that the level of disturbance will be so great that if we're lucky, they may fail one migration or they may fail to reach a critical weight and they may decide, well, you know, they've got an innate understanding, I'm not going to migrate this year, I'm right. not fat enough. And we lose one breeding event. But if if they um, if they migrate and they haven't reached that critical mass, yeah. then they, they die. die. Yeah, and we've lost maybe twenty years of breeding. Yeah. So. Um, so it's really not worth the risk. <laughs> it's not worth the risk, and you know. It, and it's a bit like um, you you can't just chuck a pebble into a pond and say the only impact is where the pebble's gone in. Yeah. So there's lots of. There's so many reasons why this is a bad, bad idea. So if, if people want to get involved, if they want to help, mm-hmm. like what would you suggest? Because is it have we lost or no. is there still time? No, no, no. The um, the with all these submissions that went in, mm-hmm. uh, the um, developers now have to put in a final EIS, environmental impact statement, that incorporates the submissions. Okay. Okay. So they have to do that. And then finally, it's up to um, the Minister of the Environment, um, Tanya Plibersek, to make that final decision. Okay. So she can she can do. Um, she's got options. She yeah. can say it's clearly unacceptable, which was the advice of the department to Josh Frydenberg. Yes. Or she can um, say, um, go back to the drawing board and come back with something. Okay. Not- so we've still got more options. Absolutely. And there's a huge amount of community appeal against there the project, is. isn't there? There, there is. And uh, if you actually haven't already written to your local member, if you haven't already written to the Minister for the Environment, yeah. it, it, you don't have to be a scientist to write the, to yeah. write a submission. You know, there's, if you've gone to BirdLife Australia app for birds, there's plenty of information there. Lots of you, resources. Lots I of even resources. used a lot of their resources yeah. too because – you know, when I was writing my submission, I, I, I didn't have a great understanding of what, you know, the Ramsar Act actually no, meant. And no. I, I kind of wanted to be well informed. And yeah. there's a bunch of templates a, as well that you can you can submit. Um, and, and it used to be that if you signed um, a template submission, and if 10,000 people signed that same template submission, it used to be counted as one submission. Really? I didn't know that. No, but that's been changed okay. now. Yeah. It has to be counted as 10,000. But what we do know, because we got so many people putting submissions through our portal, yeah. is that these were individual submissions. Yeah. I mean, I wrote one for BirdLife Southern Queensland, for example, but I wrote, I wrote my personal one. Yeah. You know, about this was my line in the mud. This is when I realised that some things you've got to just say, no, not on my watch. This, I can't sit back 
And you can be labelled whatever they want to label you, activist, environmental terrorist, whatever you're not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a grandmother and I'm an advocate for protecting shorebird habitat. Simple as. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to know that we still have power. We've got time. Have, as, have, you know, as individuals in a community, government is working for us, yes. right? And if we're against the development, then they can't do it. Yeah, and I think that's the hope. That's right? the hope. And we, but we do know that, you know, apart from the fact we've had those 27,000 submissions, we've had tens of thousands of other individual actions, yep. whether that's joining us on um, parades or the light in the mud, line in the mud events or meeting with MPs. Yeah. We've had tens of thousands of people locally, when I, and locally I mean the people in Redmond, um, regionally, Southeast Queensland, nationally and internationally. Yeah. We've got um, a, a, a very powerful group of international scientists collaborated on a letter saying that this development was unacceptable. Okay. Well, you know, Judith, that all sounds incredibly hopeful to oh. me. It's disappointing that it's gotten to this point because yeah. it sounds like there are multiple levels where they could have stopped it. Yes. But, however, we're, we're still in a good position. And I think, you know, we are hopeful. Yeah. The, um, but ultimately this is a state government issue and yeah. a, a, um, a local council issue because Campbell Newman government declared the Toonda Harbour as a priority development area. Right. Labour government actively campaigned in that uh, the election that saw Labour get back into power. They yeah. campaigned against the PDA and then turned about face. So uh, I don't want to give the impression that this is going to be over when the ministers for yeah. the environment federally says no, because then the next thing we've got to do is that we have to campaign to have the priority development area removed from the Ramsar wetland. We have to campaign to make sure that if they are going to put in a marina, that none of the dredged spoil goes out onto the Ramsar wetland because that removes feeding habitat. Mm -hmm. So it's not over. You know, my sincere wish is that... Um, I'm not on a Zimmer frame by the time this decision is finally over. But, but that's how I see it. You'd, it's a long, it, it's we're a, in for the long haul. We're in for the long haul. Yeah. And that, that's the message that we need to get across to people um, in government. They're not reading the room on this. Yeah. <laughs> and they need to read the room. Mm. All right. So how do people keep up to date? Um, well, there's usually um, you can sign up to um, BirdLife eNews. Okay. Um, you can just go onto the BirdLife network. Um, you can become a supporter of BirdLife. And that might just mean you give your email address and say you're interested in the Toonda campaign. And then the only emails you'll get are the Toonda yep. Harbour emails. All right. Um, so if you're listening, I definitely recommend um, signing up to those newsletters and just being informed, you know, particularly if you're from southeast Queensland, of course, mm. which I think a lot of people who listen to this are. Um, but, yeah, it's it's so important, even just as to set a precedence for what we allow the government and the councils to do with our, you know, our critically important habitats. Yeah. And Queensland has a horrible track record with development and a, an incredible disregard for for the habitat and the environment that we've got around us, which is um, 
obviously of global importance. So, look, let's. Uh, I- I'm almost finished my margarita. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> I can't believe it. So I was. I was really enjoying listening to that. Should we talk about some? Look, we've gone into lighter that. stuff. Yeah, should we talk some lighter stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom, is it? But I, I do think it's important, uh, particularly to to highlight the role that birders have in conservation. Mm. Right? I think obviously there's a lot of diversity in the birding community, and some people are into birding just because they like birds, and that's okay as well and maybe they're not conservation minded but i do feel like even those people that start with just a superficial appreciation of birds they start noticing things and they start caring about the birds and it does lead into you know a, a conservationally minded um, position it, I, it's no doubt in my mind at all that that's what happens because yeah. as soon as you start to care about birds whether that's the magpie that comes and visits you every yeah. day or you know the birds that you see every day when you go for um, a walk with your dog as soon as you start caring for them you're much more likely to take an action whether that's going to see your local councillor your local mp yeah. you know when you see something is happening that is just a stretch too far put yourself out there and just do something about that don't be don't be a silent minority that says isn't, isn't that awful when it when something bad happens, be part of the potential solution and be active. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. I want. I do want to talk more about your journey. Oh, is that nice? It's a nice... I've got plenty left. <laughs> I think I believe they call it ASMR on the internet. I don't know what it stands for, but it's like the sound, you know, nice noises oh, and how that. people like hearing, you know, people like crackling or popping bubble wrap. Bubble wrap, like, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. But I've got you on the podcast because mm. you are a birder mm-hmm. and I haven't really had a true birder on, but I want to hear more about your journey. You obviously alluded to the fact that witnessing shorebirds on Stradbroke Island mm. um, brought it upon, but have you always had a love for birds and wildlife or when did that start? Um, so... I said, one of my earliest memories, I would have been about two and a half, and my mum had made me and my identical twin sister some little yellow dungarees. I remember them. <laughs> and they had little pockets on them. And this uh, this has got nothing to do with birds, but it, um, it's about my love of all things nature. Yeah. And we came home and we had our pockets stuffed full of slugs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's, and we yeah. used to collect Ladybirds and ear earwigs. We used to. Um, I never did um, bird nest. Egg, oh egg right, because that was a big thing, that. wasn't it? it was that big was a big then. thing. Was collecting eggs yeah. from nests and. Yeah, but I was very, very much into anything to do with nature. I yeah. just loved. I think it's a very relatable origin story mm. for a lot of naturalists, mm. and it is something that you're you're almost allowed to do as a child. But the older you get. It's kind of weird to be, you know, digging in the garden looking for slugs and frogs and stuff. And well, the, the naturalists are the ones that continue. To, quite that's a lot right. Of the time. To yeah. do it, I, I worry a bit with the, this generation. Uh, you know, my grandchildren. The capacity to get out and explore the natural environment mm. has been wound back. Sure. You know, kids, yeah. kids don't get just to wander off and come back at tea time anymore. Yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, we used to do. But yeah, so I always had that love of. Um, um, nature. We used to feed our birds yeah. um, in the garden with peanuts and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's very British. It is very to British. Use, uh, just raw peanuts, isn't yes. it? Yeah, to yes. feed them and, and fat and all sorts of things. Yeah, and lard yeah. balls. I think is a big thing. I make my own lard balls. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it, and it's just you get that relationship with nature. So I came to Australia when I was twenty-three, mm-hmm. interested in birds. So I wasn't listing then. I wasn't. Sticking birds off the yeah, a passive interest. Passive interest. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I was 23 
And then um, in 1980, three years later, I had a job transition where I had eight months between jobs that was planned and I knew about that. And I thought, well, what the hell am I going to do, you know? And there was a sewage farm about a mile from where I lived. <laughs> Which one? Because <laughs> Cora was sewage farm. Oh, right. <laughs> it's actually labelled um, as a wildlife sanctuary. Right, yeah. So I started going to there at least once a week yeah. and I was just sort of... Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Loved it. For the um, birds, of course. For the birds. Not the, not the smell. Well, it didn't really smell that much. This, this might sound weird to a lot of people that aren't birders, but sewerage farms, sewerage treatment plants are some of the best birding habitat. <laughs> they are wonderful. If you, ever, you know, whenever we go anywhere in the world, we're looking for where the sewage treatment plants are. Yeah. Well, there's one, like particularly I'm thinking of one Victorian sewage yeah. treatment plant near Melbourne mm-hmm. that is one of the most famous birding sites in Australia, right? The Werribee the sewage Werribee. treatment yes, plant. The, yeah. yeah. And it's a Ramsar site. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's one of the, it's probably Australia's best Ramsar site. I might upset other people. By people. saying that, yeah. Well, saying there's that no such thing as best. No, oh, no, no. My, my Ramsar site is better my than Ramsar. Ramsar. Oh, no, Ramsar. <laughs> but, but anyway, see, I started going to the sewage farm and um, the, I, met my, I met my husband at that sewage farm. It was over a Gavin? Fre- Gavin. Who I'm good friends with. Yes. Yeah. It was a freckled duck that got us together. Oh, there you go. A freckled duck. <laughs> you met over a freckled duck and a we sunset. Did meet over, uh, we did meet over a freckled duck back in the days before internet. So yeah. it was, um, but I'd found freckled duck, two freckled duck, and it got out. Oh, so you were the, right, no. you were the person that but found that, it. But, you know, I had so. some sense of, we do get, um, yeah, this is my this is my patch type thing. Right, yeah. There's always a, there's a bit of that with birding. There isn't is there? a bit. So it leads into the idiosyncrasies of birders. You yes. know, like there's a bit of territorialism and stuff That's, maybe about. Do you reckon? Or a bit of. They, well, they they can be, and I certainly was um, exposed to that in my early birding days, mm. where um, certain people would weren't generous with the information. Other sure. people, if they couldn't do enough for you, but yeah. there were other people who, unless you were in 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 the in crowd would actively exclude you really on information i had that yeah i definitely had that and it was it's not gender specific it can be women yeah and men do it it, it, it does seem to and this anytime i say this i i don't mean it disparagingly mm. but birding bird watching does attract certain types of individuals and i think like and there are a lot of very interesting individuals that end up Pursuing birding or bird watching with very obsessive individuals, it really lends to that obsessive behaviour of needing to, you know, see all the birds and list and, you know, yeah. keeping t- lists and ticking and stuff like that. But it does create for quite a colourful community. It is a colourful community. Yeah. And I, I like that. I think that's what makes it exciting. I talk about birding as attenuated hunting. Yeah, that's right. I, well, I've called it vegan hunting. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Well, bird, bird photography is vegan hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I can't believe it's not killing a wild animal. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I'll play that one. That's a good one. Yeah. So you do get into hunting mode, and you yeah. do get you do get obsessive. Yes. And yeah. um, my my husband's got three children by his first marriage, and then we've got one thirty year old ourselves, and. We took him to England when he was 10. Yeah. And it was out of school, so I gave him a – had to keep a diary. Right, yeah, of course. It yeah. was like pulling teeth. <laughs> he, he hated it. Like sometimes he would just have the yeah. – anyway, I, my, I've, I've still got this um, exercise book because he actually did tell a story this one day and he said, today we went to Newton Pool. This is near the Farn Islands in Northumberland. Right. And um, 
to see some birds. And then he put in brackets, which I was impressed for a 10-year-old. The problem is both my parents are birders and they drag me, underlined (laughs) multiple times, everywhere. Close brackets. (laughs) End of story. Sounds awful. Sounds awful. So I I said to Gabby, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to have four strikes here. Yeah. And so I got him a bird book with tick boxes in it. Yeah, great. Yeah. Fantastic. We are obsessive. We want to see everything. We want to collect. We we do extraordinary things. Well, it does. Yeah, I I think that it's very attractive for a lot of people, such as myself, who are neurodivergent. Yeah. And it is great for that. And I think it does therefore attract. And that was going to be one of my questions, you know, Hmm. because birders they do have quite a reputation for <laughs> idiosyncratic behaviors. Yes. And I was wondering why you think that is, you know, is, and it, it probably is because it is attractive to a lot of us who are neurodivergent yeah. and who like order and who do get hyper fixated on certain things, but also who might have a love for nature and for a passion for being outdoors and stuff. So. Well, look, it's, it's the perfect marriage. Yeah. It's the absolute perfect marriage because you get yourself into places where – I'm going to say normal non-birders yeah. never go. Like we That's go right. to places, and it will be one of our best days. Was at this absolutely disgusting little pond that would have been maybe 50 meters by 100 meters yeah. that was full of rubbish, surrounded by hundreds of Indian children, goats with cardigans on, and everything. And it was just the most wonderful experience. Yeah. So, this little muddy smelly stinky wetland was stuffed full of birds we were three very happy people because um, peter is now this stage he's 16 he's done all his ticking we it was at another sewage farm um it was a tom price sewage farm when he was 13 took him on a birding trip just me and him so this is before he he doesn't like birds at this stage this is post diary this is post diary but he's into the tick book okay he's he's got into the ticking yeah likes the ticks and and uh, and once a month we would sit down and we'd count his ticks yeah and i didn't care what he ticked yeah (laughs) if if he had a yellow breasted boat bill and i knew it was an eastern yellow robin i didn't yeah 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 it wasn't it wasn't my job it's weird to see a a boat bill in ipswich yeah (laughs) (laughs) this was in coro no this was in home yeah it didn't matter this was his list yeah of course so we started that immediately we got back from that trip to the um, northumberland coast so fast forward three years i take him on this camping trip up the Great Northern um, Road in Western Australia, and we got to Tom Price, and we got to the sewage farm, and there were starfinches, there were little wood swallows, there were white-wing fairy wrens, there was this, there was that. Lovely. And Peter's eyes lit up like a Christmas tree, and he looked at me and he said, I get it, I get it. Wow, yeah. And by the time he was 14, he'd cleansed his list. Yeah, got all the stringed birds off. He had one stringy bird. It took him a long time to get rid of that. But he, he we all do, Judith. <laughs> not me. No, no, no of course no, not. My no, list no, is very me. clean. Yeah, oh, right. yeah so, so that's how we go. But I think it's just it's that connection with nature. It's that yeah. connection with country. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, I, and we have described this on the podcast before, but it's it's almost just like, bushwalking with purpose, right? Mm. Going into nature with purpose. It just adds another element on there. It gives you like a reason to to go out, you know, that you might not otherwise find. But And some people don't need that and other people it helps. And I think regardless, it's a good thing. But I I do want to know though, why why birds? 
You know, why do you think it is birds? Not necessarily just for yourself, but for other birders. You know, it is easily the most popular and therefore the most accessible means of, of naturalism in the world. You know, it like is. why not frogs or mammals or insects, you know, or spiders? Well, you've mentioned the word already. It's easy. Yeah. They're everywhere, They're right? everywhere. There's no way you can drop a birder on the planet that yep. they will not find something to be happy about. Yeah. You know, as soon as we touch down in another country, we're looking for our first triptych. Yeah, you know, and How it's usually it's usually a cattle egret or something. Yeah, like that. but it doesn't matter because doesn't it's a new. It's when you're in a new spot and you've seen a, a bird. And, yeah. So they're so they're they're accessible. You yeah. go to beautiful places. You know, I mean, to see an ibis bill on 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 a river in Tibet. Yeah. Um. Ah. Oh, you know. Just fabulous. And we were talking earlier about onomatopoeic names. Yes, yeah. And the third time I saw um, an ibis bill, it was in Ladakh in India. Right. And um, these two farmers, locals, came up and we were showing the, the birds. And they said, oh, trintling, trintling. Trintling. Yes. Right. And it took off. And it sang, trintling. Oh, wow. How did that? Oh, look, that still gives me goosebumps. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I don't mean to cheapen the moment, but do you know anything about Pokemon? No. Look, I'm not big into Pokemon, but I do know that the Pokemon are named after the sound that they make. Ah. (laughs) You know, like Pikachu only says Pikachu and and Charmander (laughs) only says Charmander. So maybe maybe we should have named all our birds after the sounds that they made. It would have been easier. Well, it's interesting because the indigenous names... Yeah. Um, do use a lot yeah. of them are onomatopoeic. Is so. that like is Kookaburra one of those? I, Would that be I right? don't know, possibly. But um, Willy Wagtails are chitchitches. Oh wow! Okay. Then the other one I love is um, zebra finch, which are ninis. Ninis. Ah, oh, yeah, right. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So a lot of the um, they are onomatopoeic. Yes. Yeah. So they describe the call, and that's yes. what they've named them. Yeah. Which is so much easier than visual, That's really, right. a lot and, of the time. And it does help people, I think, remember calls. Because mm. if you, most people know the common call of the Willy Wagtail bit, but yep. they may not recognize the Chitter Chitter call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is something else we kind of discussed. We discussed it on our bird walk. But it's something I've always struggled with mm. is identifying birds by bird calls. I think it's. You know, obviously there are certain birds that are so unique and so easy, like you know, paradise rifle birds or the noisy pitters around here or the satin bow birds or... The, oh, the eastern yellow robin. Eastern yellow robins. Yeah. There's so many that I'm, you know... Log I can, runner. Log runner's a good one. But then I, I find it very difficult when I'm going into the field to pick up on even things that I thought that I knew. Mm. It disappears. And I'm music. I can play lots of instruments. I used to be a professional musician and yet, yeah, I just really struggle. So what would you, for anyone out there that is also struggling, what are your tips? Please help. Because <laughs> okay. you, 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 uh, you often say that you, you bird by ear yeah. primarily. Yeah. yeah. I'm a very lazy bird watcher. I've right. Got, I've got pretty bad eyesight even with, uh, with glasses. And interestingly, I have no musical talent at all. You're a bird listener rather I'm a than bird a bird listener. watcher. I mean, yeah, I do listen to birds. Um, I actually got... The best tip I ever got was from a dear friend of mine because Peter was 19 right. and a really good bird watcher yeah. but not couldn't recognise bird calls. And Richard said to me one day, he's never going to remember if you keep telling him that's what they are. Mm. So the first thing I did is I stopped telling him what the birds were. 
for years, if I heard a Scarlet Honeyeater, I'd just go Scarlet Honeyeater, Spotted Pad, yeah, Louis Honeyeater. So he'd say, "What's that?" So I'm not telling you. Figure it out. So I, <laughs> I, 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 this is the method I used. Three guesses. Usually, Peter got got it by the second. Okay. If he didn't get it by the third, a lashing. No. No. Okay. No. No. We're not. <laughs> okay. Sorry. You're not my son. Out. Leave this house immediately. No. Can you put it into a family? Okay. Yeah. That's good. Can you think? Is this a big bird or a little bird? I mean, it doesn't work with spotted pardlocks, which frankly, yeah, can, if they're close by, you get a bleeding nose. Yeah, they're yeah. so loud. But can you give it a size by its call? Mm. And then, really importantly, where is it? Is it on the ground? Is it in just sort of head height, mid canopy, high canopy? Then the next really important part of the learning process is that every single time, and I mean every time, no yeah. exceptions, whenever you hear a bird that you know, you say it to yourself. So you're, when I'm walking in the bush, I might be going, Bell Minor, Bell Minor, Spotted Padlock, Spotted Padlock, Lewin's Honey Eater. I'm having this constant discourse. Repetition. Repetition. Yeah. It's so important to do that. Yes. And it is one bird call at a time because every bird, um, I can hear silver eyes. Yeah, they're doing well at the moment. Yes, they're on the bird bath. I guarantee (laughs) you they're on the bird bath. Yes, so repetition is really important and remembering the yellow-faced honey eater. It's got three calls. I've already forgotten it. (laughs) Its song is... (laughs) We heard it on the walk, which I'll tell you. Yeah, go on. So it's got the chuck-up call. Yeah. So think about chuck up, yellow face, chucks yellow. That can be one way of right. doing it. Yeah. It's got its migration contact call, which is um, a chip, 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 chip. And then it's got a higher pitched um, contact call when it's actually in the forest okay. talking to other birds. Right. All right. But, you know, the first thing to do is to nail the chuck up call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that's right. Because birds have variations of their calls, yes. right? Yeah. So I, I think a great example is the green catbird, yes. which everyone knows. Yes. Then not a lot of people know that little contact call. Mm. And once you hear that, they're everywhere. That's absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. Because here's this great big bird that makes this amazing um, cat sound, but it's got this really weaky, wishy washy. Just like yes. And as you say, when you're on to that, you realise that this is one of our commonest rainforest yeah, species. Yeah, there's everywhere. It's hard to see. You see, you do know bird calls. I know a few, but I, yeah, I really do. And sometimes I forget them. So as I was saying earlier, you know, I will really nail fantail cuckoo. You know, I have that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Obviously, fantail cuckoo. And then one day I'll hear it. It's just not there. It's not in it's the gone. bank. It's gone. So I, maybe I need to do your thing, which is say it every say it time. to yourself. You I'm don't have to yell out loud, Fantail Coco! Where'd it go? I didn't know. I, I, uh, one of the guys, uh, a guide we had in India, um, English birders right. are very different to Australian birders. All oh, right. right. Sounds really? like the start of a joke. <laughs> no, it's not. It's true. Okay, because Aust- um, Australian birders, when they're walking along bird watching, they tend to natter all the time. Right, okay. It drives English birders. Yeah. Natter, you mean chat. Chat. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. You know, chit-chat, chat, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm still seeing Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. That's a black bird, this bird. But we, we can be talking about, you know, what we had for lunch six weeks ago. And yeah. We don't shut up. Right. English birders, you've so, got to be very quiet. I think that's me. 
Oh, do you think you might have English? I think I might be an English birder because I get very frustrated when spotting and doing wildlife photography when people are talking. I get very, I'm just like, oh, gosh, I can't, I can't focus. Ah, oh, but that might be your newer diver. Maybe. <laughs> it could be maybe. maybe. Might just be an arsehole. To be or maybe more, more English birders are neurodivergent. <laughs> but we were on this, um, we were staying in this place at Goa called Backwood Camps, fabulous place. Yeah. And uh, there was a mix of Australian and English people. Right. But the Indian guide, he yelled the bird's name oh, every at, time. at the top of his voice. <laughs> so he, it was something like, you know, Giant, and I'm talking, I can't do it because I break the microphone. And these English people were absolutely mortified. They just couldn't believe it, yeah. Because you'd think, I mean, yeah, it's counterintuitive, surely, because you think that, oh, I'm loud, I'm going to scare the animals off, but... Well, I presume, you know, he he would see a bird yeah. and he would start running <laughs> like the clappers <laughs> off piste with six of us following in as fast right. as we can, screaming at the top of his voice. And we still saw every yeah, bird. Yeah, true. Yeah. But, okay, you know, yeah. there's some skulkers like, don't talk to me about the fact that um, Gavin and Peter have got a Nepal. Ren Babbler, now a cup wing. Let's talk about taxonomy, shall we? No, um, yeah. <laughs> no let's not talk about <laughs> no, taxonomy. Just, we won't talk taxonomy. Yeah, we'll compete Clements versus Ayers. Yeah. Oh, no. So, yeah, I didn't get to see the Nepal okay. Ren Babbler. Oh, no. I missed it by two seconds. And that's the only time I've actually cried from not seeing <gasps> a bird. Did cried. you cry? cry. After not, after, yeah, wow, just from not seeing a no, bird. See why a is bird. that? Why do you think you cried? Because I knew Gavin and Peter would give me shit. All right. <laughs> it wasn't written no. It was just, yeah. <laughs> no, I suppose um, wren babblers, yeah. uh, wings as they're now called, they're skulking birds. They're really difficult to see. They're a bit like a brown boring pitta, but they're hard to see. And I just missed it. And I just felt so low that the next day I went out by myself for three hours trying to see it, and I didn't. Right. And I've missed pitters. And I've been upset about, I've missed birds because my eyesight's not very good. And because I don't practice finding birds, yeah, it's fine if I'm in my own environment. My ears are working and switched on 150% all the time. Yeah. But when I have to go and actually find a bird by sight, yeah, this is where a really good birder should be a great ear birder. Should and be able to great, do both. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I am not. I yeah. think my son, I would class him. As a, a great birder, because he's great on his birds. calls mm. and he's great on finding birds. And he's fabulous with a scope in a forest. I remember that you and Gavin went out, was it on Bellbird Grove? And Gav came back and <gasps> yes. he, said to, he said to me, he said, what do you think this bird is? And I said, well, that's a brown thornbill, Gavin. But I said, I'm really interested in the um, spotted quail thrush that's calling him Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I remember I was there with him when you <laughs> said, I was like, oh, you're kidding me. And I could, still couldn't hear it on the recording. It was so, yeah, it was so faint. But yeah, you just sort it's of that really honed high in pitch. on it. Do you tick off herd? Oh. Should we go I, into lists? This is yeah, fun chat. let's go. Let's, let's go list. Do you lists. tick from, yeah, so for people listening, ticking is, yeah. you know, ticking the birds that you've seen when you keep a list. Yeah. And some people do tick by herd, by just hearing the call, but a lot of birders obviously just tick by I mark them herd. Okay. But I don't actually count them on my life list number. I think the exception I would make probably would be the night parrot. 
I think. Have you heard of Night Parrot? No, I haven't. All oh, right, but if you had, if I had, it's going on the list. I would, well, because I think maybe some of the really, really critically endangered birds. Yeah. Back in the day when I started using Zenocanto, um, which is a, um, a software program where you can download bird calls for anywhere where you're going, and I think Merlin has a similar function yep. now, and eBird, you could download any bird call, even if it was critically endangered. We've become a lot better. And you can't get these bird calls now when they're critically endangered. Right. Is that to stop people from using playback? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, because that's, it's a no-no. You should not be, unless you're doing research, when I think it's quite a different situation. Yeah. You shouldn't be using playback to disturb critically endangered birds. Yeah. So um, it's a bit like anathema, but I think it's horses for courses. It's your list. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's your exactly list. Do exactly right. what you want. want yeah. with. And if you've got a stringy tick on it, yeah, have you discussed what a stringy tick is? Yeah, yeah. Episode one, we went I'll through stringers. Yeah. yeah, we went through some yeah. Gav, terminology. Uh, Gavin, he feels he has a moral duty to have at least one stringy tick on his list to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a bit of a competition between your Australia yeah. lists, don't you? Yes. I think, right. well, is he about, is he winning at the moment? He he may be now. Yeah. But, um, Can we ask what numbers? Is that a personal? Ease? No, it's not a personal. What's your, what's your list? What's your list? This it is, feels this, like a personal. This question. is going to sound really awful. I actually don't know my exact number. Right, you okay. couldn't surely. You I mean you could figure it out? I, you just don't know off the top I, of your head. I, I, yeah. It's somewhere between seven hundred and twenty-five and seven hundred and thirty-two. But the other thing I'm really big on, and here's another tip for ticking. Okay, always identify your bird down to subspecies level. Yeah, yes, you do just that? in case. Yeah, well, look, yes, but I'm pretty bad at it. I'm not a very good birder, Judith. I don't do a lot of birding. <laughs> um, but I, I do just because that's how I've got my, my list and it, it does classify the subspecies on there. So then even if it's to distribution or something yeah. like that, I do that. Yeah, because obviously taxonomy changes. It does. And those subspecies, what we haven't discussed is an armchair tick, which is when the, yeah. a subspecies becomes a full species yeah. and then you have a new bird on your list that you didn't have the previous day. That's exactly right. You know, and you can say, well, it, it doesn't mean as much. But no, you know, you've still been into that environment. Yeah. And if you've consciously um, said, right, I know that this is, X subspecies, mm-hmm. and I've seen it on this day in this place. Then it's it's just as valid. Yeah. Um, and also, who cares if they're full species? Yeah. I think, unfortunately, that is a downfall of being obsessed with a list, is that you you can kind of miss the big picture. That's right. right. And if you are starting to you know ignore subspecies then you're actually ignoring populations of birds that look different, have different behaviours, live in different habitats and that sort of thing. And that you have to learn the calls for because the calls will be entirely yeah, different. That's right, you know, yeah. And you, you, you get regional dialects that are, yep. are very, very Oh, that's amazing. Even within a short distance, you get mm. dialects. The Karawongs are a fantastic example, I think. Yeah. Yes, you know, are. you go down to Granite Belt and Karawongs just sound completely different <laughs> and then you go <laughs> further. It's like, what is that? <laughs> so I think with lists, it's... Um, um, very, very personal. It's a personal endeavour. It's a personal so, yeah. endeavour. I try and in these episodes, I try and bring a fact to the table, right. like a bird fact. Okay. And because you're obviously a very competent, knowledgeable birder, I was like, I need to do something obscure. Mm-hmm. But I'm worried that you probably already know it. But I'm going to tell it anyway because I guarantee. You're going to ask me a fact. No, no, yeah, I'm going to tell you the fact. It's right. just a fact I'm bringing just because the listeners love this segment. Right. A little fact that they can take and they can tell everyone. And we'll probably finish the podcast okay. on this. And then at the end, I'm going to cut in our 
bird call segment. Okay. I'll cut in at the end. Do you know the James Bond bird fact? Do you know this fact? No. Okay. This is no. cool. Well, Ian Fleming. Is that a name that you're familiar yeah, with? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, British author. Um, was writing a small book in the 50s called Casino Royale, which you might have heard mm-hmm. of. All right. And he needed the name of a title character for his book, Spy and uh-huh. International Man of Mystery. Actually, no, International Man of Mystery is Austin Powers. Sorry. <laughs> He wasn't. Ian Fleming didn't write Austin Powers, as far as I know. No, um, no. But Fleming was living in Jamaica at the time, and when he was writing this book, Casino Royale, and was a keen bird watcher. Oh, did you know Ian Fleming I was a, a bird watcher? That. Right, he's a keen bird watcher, and he owned a book called Birds of West Indies. Mm. Right, and the author of that book was none other than American ornithologist and Caribbean bird expert James Bond. Bond. Oh. Yeah, so Ian Fleming named James Bond, his character, after a well-known ornithologist from the Caribbean. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. And so Fleming later was speaking to um, the real James Bond's wife and said, it struck me that this brief, unromantic, Anglo-Saxon and yet very masculine name was just what I needed. So a second James Bond was born. (laughs) (laughs) He was looking for an unromantic Anglo-Saxon name (laughs) to James Bond. But he didn't tell the real James Bond. Oh, he, he didn't? didn't? No, no. James, the real James Bond didn't know that his name had been used in the books uh, until, like, the 1960s. So, um, But apparently he loved it. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, no, apparently he was really, like, really yeah. proud of the fact that his name was being used for um, Bond. Yes, yeah. James Bond. But. Yeah, because um, Fleming, he was actually a spy in Apparently he was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah a lot of it is, um, well, you wonder how much he's sort of biographical particularly the earlier ones yeah it was less fantastical silly, and stuff l- yeah. less less and less silly well i just think that the venn diagram of mm. birders and spies is binoculars oh. <laughs> <laughs> no that's good hey have you ever talked about um birding um tv ticks no, oh god, that's a funny one, isn't it? it People is a that funny tick one. birds that they've seen on movies and television, or hear them, or you know, how often have you been listening to something and um, that's supposed to be set in the Caribbean and yeah, you hear you a, laughing, a kookaburra, a laughing kookaburra, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it does it annoys you to death. Well, Tarzan was big, wasn't it? And yes. they, they, I think they used a lot of Australian birds, kookaburras yes. and cockatoos and yes. stuff. And of course, the most famous example um, of misrepresentation for birds is the use of the red-tailed hawk. For yes. every single bald eagle. Exactly. <laughs> and does that annoy us? It does. It does. I mean, it it should, really you know, annoys Really, me. it's sloppy producing. Anyway. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, Judith. I've, brought, I've got your gift, actually. Oh, yeah, that is lovely. I'm yeah. going to save this. It's a sticker. It's a death by know, birding sticker. I know it is, but I'm not going to put it on my car. I'll because... give you more if you want. If you want to put them on. <laughs> you don't have to keep that one in the... <laughs> I'll just give you more. Oh, good. I'll have more. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. I love it. I yeah. really do love it. And yeah, that was uh, done by a local, Jace Harper, who uh, lives in Mount Nebo, and he did that. And it's me um, getting murdered oh, by sooty an owl. indescript sooty owl. They're wonderful, aren't they? Yeah. They're, very, they're, um, they're great. It's been a pleasure, and I hope mm. it's been, you know, a mixture of heavy stuff around yeah. um, bird oh. conservation and the issues that our birds face. But the lighter, wonderful, joyous part of birding and everything it's given me, um, I am blessed beyond measure because of my love of birds. 
Yeah, I feel like we could, you know, do another three or four episodes and just go through burning sword. There's a lot that I wanted to talk to you yeah. about that yeah. doesn't fit into no. this like this little window. But I'll have to have you back on if you if you'll come and and yeah. talk more. I want to talk more about international birding adventures. And oh, I'm sure yes. you've got a lot of stories. And yeah. one of my closest um, encounters with near death was when I was oh. first started birding. I went out to a pig sewage farm <laughs> in outback New South Wales. And I was chasing a spotted crake. Right. And I Lovely. thought I was on solid ground, but I wasn't. I was actually on a thin crust of pig effluent. Oh, gosh. And I fell through that. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I kind of went over one side. There were a whole heap of guys working on the piggery roof, you yeah. know. Yeah. And I'm sort of 29, 30 trying to look nonchalant and like I fell through pig shit <laughs> every day of the week. So I just sort of um, managed to e- extract myself. Right, yeah, you got out safe. I got out with my wellies. But it was later that night when I was going to sleep and I thought, you know, I could have just gone. I could, you could have died in the I pit. I could have yeah. died. Yeah. And, you know, what a way to go. Yeah. But I, w- I did get the birds, so that would have been okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a last tick. They just see, you know, they, they pull you out and you're in, fossilized in pig shit and you've just got a pen to paper. Yeah, that's great. At least she died doing what she loved. That's exactly right. <laughs> that would have been death by birding. Death so. by birding. <laughs> yes, thanks. All right. Thanks so much, Thank everyone. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. I've never been along this part of it. Isn't this where you wanted to go? Yeah, but I'm going to say the tip. Yeah. Normally, bird around the tip. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought you meant the walk. No. You just mean the actual dump. The actual dump. Right. That's, it's usually white net honeyeaters. Really? That shows you how good a birder I am. I'm here all the time. <laughs> no, I have heard neither of those here. Um, little Arakita common here. So when, yeah, when I said let's go birding at the dump... I, you just I, meant the actual dump. I meant the actual I, If I'd dump. known, I, I would have brought some stuff to get rid of. To dump. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's have a little look. So for the uninitiated, you were making a noise. Oh, yes. Do you want to explain what that is? Okay. It's called pishing. <laughs> Don't laugh. Um, so... <laughs> It's um, you're either a squeaker or a pisher. I don't know people who <laughs> squeak and pish. That's a squeaker. And then a, a pisher is. Psh, 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 psh. Yeah. Okay. So. Are there two factions? Do they get along? Well, some of my best birdie friends are squeakers. Oh yeah, them. some of my best friends. I tolerate you, them. That's normally what you preface before you say something bad about someone. It's like, I'm actually, I've got friends who are squeakers, and then you go to say yeah. something really, really bad about them. So the, the theory behind pishing is that it's um, it it mimics the alarm call of birds, mm. um, particularly if they're coming in to uh, you know if, if there's a snake in the area. You'll mm-hmm. get heaps of different species coming in and they're all making um, contact calls that are specific to snakes. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, oh, God, we've got a snake in the garden. So pishing seems to mimic that. And if you if you get in a good spot, like last weekend I was on Joyner's Ridge Road and um, there were some striated thornbills and I just stood under a bush and I literally went, shh, 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 
soft. It's quite softly. Very soft. And they were dancing above my really? head. Really? Wow. See, I've never had any luck with fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I try all the time. I've seen people do it successfully and then I try it and everything just fucks off. <laughs> like, I'm obviously doing something No, no, they, they pish off. They pish off. They pish off, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, yeah, so they pish off. What's curious, we're not going to, I don't want to go into the ethics of birding today, yeah. and it was particularly callback and stuff, yeah. but like, it's interesting saying that pishing or squeaking is, is mimicking the alarm call of the bird. And yet yes. it's not really as heavily scrutinised as just playing the calls. No, it's not. But it's interesting. Like now I'm thinking about it and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I think there's a lot of grey area with playing, with using callback. I think there are instances where you definitely shouldn't and I uh-huh. think there are instances where it's probably like you know, less damaging or whatever. Yeah. But that's very specific, right, to a single species yeah whereas pishing is kind of this nondescript alarming sound right. and it's just going to bring everything uh, in at yeah. once which yeah. is it's interesting yeah, yeah. So, i mean yeah. I, i've had sort of maybe 10 species come in at once a, yeah at once, wow you know? yeah and generally the little bush birds are very um amenable to come in and they're, they're curious you know they're looking at you it's a concern obviously if you do it a lot because they could be feeding that they might be looking after young mm. It's such a delight when it does happen. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I pished um, a few weeks ago and I had <laughs> I had a red cat robin female. This is down in um, the Granite Belt. A red cat robin female and a rose robin female. Yep. And inland thornbills. Wow. All dancing around. Yeah, that's just, wonderful. Uh, just being really, really, really quiet. Yeah. I have been there when it's been successful. I just find yeah. that when I'm on my own or if I'm doing it myself, it's not. no luck. Yeah. I need to, maybe I need to fix my technique. These are yellow. That's a contact call of the yellow face when you eat. And they've got a fight call. They've so got a chip, chip, chip fight call. Yeah, okay, yeah. And this is where we now we'll end up seeing a white nipped and I'll be an idiot. <laughs> I can hear spotted powder as well. Yeah, I can hear spotted and I can Lewins. hear that Lewins just then. I just saw a Lewins fly over. There's the eastern yellow robin. Yeah, and then yep. doing its ch 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 call as well. And this is where okay, I've got. Have got a pardalot? Okay. Yeah, I've got. Oh God, actually, yeah, I do. Yeah, spotted pardalot. Oh, you've got one. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's in that. So behind this big trunk, it's in that tiny spindly one oh, behind. Oh. Yeah. Oh, white sort of tree creeper. Yep, nice. I had the first one in my garden ever oh, the other lovely. day, which was nice. I think there's that tree creeper, but it's... Oh, no, it's a satella. Oh, wait a minute. I've got... I've got striated thornbill. Oh, you've got a striated thornbill? And you've got satellas Yeah, well. right in the back um, right. in that collection. Of, oh, what was that there? Yep, I've got your thornbills. you got the satella? Yeah, it's just fitted off again. Hear that? Chuckup? Yeah, that was the yellow face. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. Chuckup. Oh. All right, well, we'll head back home. Yep. We'll go back to the studio, the, the nest. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't have a name for it.